What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I am your host, your long lost host, dear listeners, Tarek Angry T. Benchwia. With me today is the homie, the singular co-host, Trey Cryan. My man, Trey, what's going on? What's going on, man? And you know what? The pod this week is brought to you by the flu vaccine. Get your flu <laughs> shot, folks. Tell them about it, Tark. <laughs> man, uh, yeah, I had a, a, a Thanksgiving uh, adventure because pretty much my entire family got the flu. Man. Um, most of us had our flu shots, so we were okay, but... I can tell you if I didn't have my flu shot, I would have been really on my ass instead of just like a little bit on my ass. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what happened. We don't know what happened to Mitch this week, but uh, it sounds like he's also sick. It doesn't sound like it was flu. I don't know what it is, but uh, not not feeling well, not able to join us this week either. So uh, yeah, I think it's just that time of year. Hopefully uh, John and the family remain uh, sickness free as they're uh, tearing it up in uh, Disney World this weekend. Yeah, uh, John's on vacation. Mitch is on uh, the IR right now. So, you know, we're we're holding it down. We're keeping it weekly. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll give the listeners a little bit of insight. We're, we're not going to have an episode next week because uh, our stupid fucking editor is going out of the country. What Trey, what's our editor's name again? Todd? Todd. <laughs> Todd. It's you, man. You're, you're <laughs> oh, it is me. fucking editor. I am that stupid fucking idiot that's going out of the country so uh you know we'll we'll take next week off as well but for today it's episode 76 and we got a good one for you uh you know not just despite it being just the two of us but because it's just me and trey we've got a great one for you you know we're confident in our ability to deliver premium dynasty fantasy football podcast content so what are we going to do today well in the first half, we're going to talk about, you know, through 13 weeks of the season as we've kind of been able to digest, you know, the games and the play and fantasy points and everything that's happened over these first, you know, few months of 2022, we're going to reflect on what our biggest kind of process misstep has been this year in Dynasty. So in kind of a reflection mode, you know, what is one thing that if you were going into the 2022 season or maybe even the 2022 off season, what would you change about, you know, how you were evaluating your process as a player evaluator, as a dynasty strategist, you know, as an overall participant in this beautiful game. Uh, and then in the second half, you know, we'll, we'll take some time to go over some of the insights that came out of the week 13 slate. Trey, what do you think about that plan? Does it sound pretty good? Yeah, man, we've, uh, you know, while we're in this time of year and we're not able to do the show every single week, it's uh, good to kind of hit the pause button and, and reflect on, you know, how the season's gone so far. It's uh, it's that time of year where we're kind of gearing up for the playoff push, too. So, you know, some of our dynasty leagues, the trade deadline has already come and passed. So we didn't really think it made like a ton of sense to dig too much into like trade values right now. Like if you're competing, you know it. If you're a pretender, you know it by now. So yeah, let's kind of reflect on our process and then we can get into a little bit of the uh, the headlines from uh, last week. Yeah. And as always, you know, as as we are reflecting on our own process as dynasty players, all of these conversations are going to be geared toward kind of 
actionable advice that we think will make us better dynasty players in the future and more importantly you guys who are listening so trey let's kick off this first half i'm gonna throw it to you first what is you know something that as you're reflecting on 2022 through 13 weeks that you would change about your dynasty process all right. So one thing that we always say is you, you got to value talent over situation, right? And it's always talent over situation. That way we don't underrate, you know, these high profile guys that are in bad situations. Situations change, but talent stays constant. I think I maybe took that a little bit to the extreme this off season because situation definitely still matters. And this season has been a big reminder of that. There were a few of, you know, quote unquote, my guys this year that absolutely were not able to overcome bad situations. Number one, the target share king, Deontay Johnson, my reputation player at wide receiver. Uh, I mean, DJ Moore, another guy that we love on this pod. They've just been buried in bad situations in Carolina and Pittsburgh. And, you know, there's other target share kings out there, uh, Darnell Mooney, Brandon Cooks, et cetera. But, you know, just looking at Deontay, right? So, Number 22 on the year and expected fantasy points per game with 14, but he's number 45 wide receiver, 45 in actual fantasy points per game at 10.1. So that's almost a four point gap between expected fantasy points based on his his volume, the targets that he gets, the situation on the field and what he's actually been able to put up in the box score. And it's because that offense is just completely broken. Uh, Pittsburgh's a bottom five offense in touchdowns per game. Not that, you know, far off where they were last year, but definitely worse than, you know, the previous season. So I think you look at Pittsburgh, you look at some of these other players, it's not really that surprising the offense has struggled, right? We we didn't really expect Pittsburgh, Carolina, Houston to be good offenses before the season started. So anyway, the point that I'm making is I think I need to reassess how I'm balancing talent versus situation in my evals specifically, because you really can't ignore either of them completely. And this really doesn't just apply to contenders. It's contenders and rebuilders that need to think about this. So for example, you and I co-manage a rebuilding roster. We traded away Tyree kill for uh, DJ Moore back in August. And obviously we've lost a ton of value on that deal. Oh man. DJ Moore just could not overcome the situation in Carolina as good as he is. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess I completely blocked that that one out of my memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and but at the time it made sense. Like like it was it For was sure. we were yeah. betting on the talent of the player. Like we we know Tyreek Hill is like a known commodity, but we thought that, you know, DJ Moore would be good enough to overcome that. And unfortunately that hasn't been the case. So, you know, this the timing here really matters, right? Because if you go back to August, if you were fading the Pittsburgh offense, Carolina or Houston, those would have been really good bets. And honestly, like if you had to bet one way or the other at the time, we probably all would have bet against those offenses, right? So now that that value has been stripped away from DJ Moore, that value has been stripped away from Deontay, they're a lot better buys now than they were back in August. So just because you were burned on a guy in August doesn't mean they're bad bets now, right? Like Deontay has gone from wide receiver 16 down to 33. DJ Moore has gone from wide receiver 15 down to 28 on keep trade cut. They're still talented. You know, there's there's opportunities for those offenses to get better, but the price has like dropped considerably. So if you're not contending, they're decent buys now, way better buys now than they were back in August. So anyway, going going forward, this is something I'm going to look to include in my evaluation model, right? Like I still want to rely on talent 
and like all of those different metrics that we use to as proxies for talent, like, you know, air yard share, target share, yards per route run. But I want to layer on top of that a premium for the situation, right? And and we can talk about different ways to do that. But, it, you know, it's a potential source for error, trying to include a way to evaluate the situation. But I, it's not something that I can, you know, in the future, just ignore completely from uh, an evaluation model. I guess, you know, where I struggle, and I, and I apologize if this is just going to come out like word vomit, but like where I struggle is how do you make this a consistent heuristic in your process when you're, you know, and you talked about adding a premium for situation, et cetera. I would like to hear more about how you would include that in like, I know you kind of have a more data-based like numeric process than, you know, somebody like me or Mitch would have, who's kind of like taking things situation by situation, a little bit more of like a film evaluation. Uh, although I, I do rely on metrics, you know, let me back up why people say bet on talent over situation is precisely because situation is unpredictable, right? So when you were talking about the Pittsburgh offense, the Houston offense, the Carolina offense, et cetera, you know, there are other situations like the Seattle offense, yeah, right? That's a good example where, where, you know, we didn't necessarily expect how good that offense was going to be. Y'all talked about it last week, scoring 26 points per game, you know, in like the top five of the NFL. Or even if it's like not a great offense, what about like Washington and Terry McLaurin? Like Terry McLaurin is kind of finally having the low end wide receiver one season that we've been hoping for since Taylor Heineke kind of took the reins back. Right. So I think the reason people like and, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Chris Harris right now. They're so like against betting on situations because situations are so unpredictable. Defenses might, you know, be bad one year and good the next year, et cetera. So like, how do you account for the flip side of the coin where uh, an offense turns out being much better, you know, than you would expect? And how are you going to layer this specifically onto your process? No, 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 no. It's, it's a legit question. I think there's a lot to dig into here. I mean, so right off the bat, yeah, there's, there's definitely a ton of situations that we got wrong going into the year and the flip side of your examples are teams like Tampa Bay and teams like Denver that we thought were going to be good offensive situations, which have just totally turned into wastelands, you know? And I don't think anybody was really predicting that back in July or August either. So so th- when I talk about how this is a potential source of error, that's what I mean, right? Because you're not going to get it 100% right. But I do think that we can directionally say these are going to be top 10, middle of the road, maybe bottom 10 type offenses and potentially be right more often than we are wrong. And, you know, I'll go through that exercise this off season. I'll kind of test to see, you know, how good I am or other people are at, at making these predictions, because what I'm essentially suggesting here is that you come up with rankings or that I will come up with rankings based on some of the metrics that I already use, things like target share, air yard share, yards per route run. For wide receivers, these are really predictive and really important. But layering on top of that, something like maybe Vegas point totals, or maybe even trying to predict something like touchdowns per game, which, you know, based on what we know about offensive systems, about quarterback play, maybe directionally we can come up with a way to say, okay, this is good, average, or bad. And just use like that as a way to, you know, put a little bit of a premium on top of 
whatever I get based off of talent and some of those underlying metrics. So, you know, right now I'm kind of brainstorming and this is still early days, but I just want to look at some way to incorporate this into the overall, uh, you know, rack and stack of these players because not including it at all and just totally leaving that off the table just doesn't seem like viable to me anymore based on the way we've seen the last couple of months play out. And this is admittedly one of the first years that I'm, I've kind of used this and actually transacted quite a bit based off of these rings. You know, even like even if we divorce from like bad situations, like as in terms of bad offenses, but like tight target shares. Right. So like Brandon Ayuk is a guy that I like to talk about a lot. Right. He's garnering a bigger target share than maybe we would have expected this year. For sure. And I think a lot of people who are fans of Brandon Ayuk's talent, including me, would say that is because of his talent. Like he is commanding those targets. Right. So. It's just, yeah, it, I think this is going, I, I'm not taking issue with anything you're saying here, but I think it's going to have to be a continuing conversation that we have on the podcast early in the off season, you know, or like when we're going division by division and doing those previews and kind of going team by team and really kind of making it a point of emphasis. How are we letting the situation affect our dynasty evaluations of these players and how are we going to transact on that information? I think that's an open question still. Um, yeah, in a way, it's almost kind of a, a meta analysis too, right? Because when you're newer to dynasty, we always like harp on talent over situation because I think the the instinctual sort of like bias is to really, really focus on the situation and to like yeah. overweight that, right? So what I'm saying is, you can't just totally eliminate it either, right? Like it's very easy to just look at target share numbers and say, okay, this guy's good, this guy's not, but there's got to be another layer to that, right? So, um, and finding that balance, I think is how you really, you know, develop some, you know, next level uh, predictive ability with some of these wide receiver ranks. And and I'm focusing mostly on wide receivers just because. Yeah, what I was going to say is like. The, the situation or the the position that's easiest to predict really. Yeah, that's what I was I was just thinking about Saquon Barkley, right? Because I feel like Saquon, you know, he was such a value over the offseason in both Dynasty and Redraft. And obviously there were injury concerns, but a big part of it was because everybody assumed that the Giants would not be good, right? And yeah. they would not be able to run the ball. Uh, and and clearly they have been, you know, they have a plus 500 record. They're on a little bit, I guess they just tied Washington, but I mean, they're they're not as hot as they were at the beginning of the season. And that's translating to Saquon. But all that to be said, like once we get out of a little bit more of a, a, a data focused or easily predictable position like the receiver, how are we going to layer that analysis on as well? Like these are these are open questions. But I think the big takeaway here is like we've got to find a way to evaluate situation more smartly and not just rely on the kind of totalizing concept of bet on talent, ignore situation, right? No, that's because that, that also goes a little bit against of kind of what my argument for, uh, Gabe Davis at cost was right. Like my argument for Gabe Davis at cost and you know, that's worked, that's worked out or it hasn't worked out depending on your biases. But my argument for him was like every down player attached to Josh Allen, who's going to be running, you know, deep routes and getting deep targets, you know? So, and, and that was a situation based take, not really something based on what I think of the Gabe Davis talent. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, the point there is that he is like sort of the poster child for situation over talent, right? Because he is a 15% target share guy 
Yeah. But, you yeah. know, it, to your point about, you know, depending on what your bias is, that kind of tells you how he's doing this year. I look at it as like, it's very unpredictable usage. I think everybody would say like, yeah, you don't know when it's going to be a pop week or not, but when it pops, like it's, it's really nice and you probably win that week. So yeah, Yeah. there's not like a perfect answer for Gabe Davis. He kind of breaks the mold, but for most of these receivers, I think you can, you can point to air yard share. You can point to, you know, that, that weighted opportunity uh, performance rating and, you know, your yards per route run. You can come up with an idea of how talented the guy is. But, you know, if we, there's got to be a way to understand how do we predict to some degree these touchdowns and where, where those are going to come from, because ultimately what we're chasing here is touchdowns. And it, that's always going to be the game. It's a tough question to ask, essentially. Like the reflection is let's pay attention to situation more and figure out how we can include that into our process. You know, the answer is going to going to be a, a process in itself. All right, uh, so let's move on to kind of what I would change or what a process misstep this year was in Dynasty. And it, and it kind of comes out of moves that I have been trying to make in the last few weeks on my contending rosters specifically. And here's what I wish I did. I wish I prioritized depth less on my contending rosters, right? I have a handful, you know, probably three or four really strong contending rosters that are very deep. They've got a solid amount of reinforcements on the bench that can come in and take over if, you know, one of my studs gets injured. And this is kind of always in my four or five years of playing Dynasty. This is kind of how I've built my contenders almost instinctively. Once I have a powerful starting lineup, I kind of tend to out of caution, maybe out of anxiety a little bit build around that lineup with capable reinforcements that will, you know, stave off the injury bug as best as possible or or a possible suspension, et cetera, or even just like decaying performance out of somebody, right? So what that usually means is I'm a little bit light on draft picks on these teams, but very deep on the bench. And it comes in handy, like when DeAndre Swift gets hurt or when Michael Pittman isn't producing like we thought he would. But I've kind of realized over the last few weeks that I would feel much better about my contending rosters if they were built around a really elite starting lineup and then a weaker bench, but a reasonable stable of draft assets that can be leveraged when needed, not kind of preemptively or anxiously traded away in order to get an Adam Thielen on the bench, et cetera, right? And and since I realized that a few weeks ago, I've actually made like a really concerted effort to trim the bench depth off my contending rosters and turn those pieces into more liquid assets like seconds and thirds or a little bit younger, unproven guys, right? Wandale Robinson is like people like that. But at this point in the season, it's actually much harder to do that than it would have been in August or July because those contending and rebuilding assets, they're largely polarized in your leagues, right? right. So a big project of mine this offseason, it's going to be turning my contenders into more top-heavy teams that are backed by a stable of seconds and thirds rather than bench scorers. Um, and that I, I feel like I really want to make over my contenders 
this offseason with that in mind. Yeah, there's a couple reasons I like this. And and so the first one is it, this fragility in the dynasty landscape. If you own all your draft picks, it it almost like benefits you to the degree that let's say early on in the season there's a big injury like you were maybe Trey Lance was a key part of your contending roster and he goes down week 1, then you know, you then have a decision to make do you redeploy those assets you trade him away to try to bring in a replacement? Or do you just embrace the tank early, you know, and yeah. and like then start over and then, you know, before maybe some of the other teams later on in the year that, you know, this is going to be a rebuilder versus a contender. Right. So that fragility kind of helps you with the decision making at the same time too, like just thinking about healthy longevity, you know, like playing the long game here, that bench really needs to be heavy on uh basically any of the prospect pieces and another shout out to adam harstad i I always am talking about the theory and some of like the ideas that we get from him but this is another one like if they're not contending and putting points in your lineup then they need to be accruing value right so yeah and and that's what the bench is for the bench is for prospects it's accruing value over time and as long as you think that over the period of three, six, 12 months, their value is going to increase. And that's a valuable bench piece. Otherwise, like you said, you wait until the you know need for depth arises and then you transact and you address it on the spot. And I, this is something that I've kind of been embracing as well going into this year, you know, sometimes more out of necessity just because of a, you know, more shallow roster than um, by choice. But it's a, it's a strategy I agree with. And I think it's the right way to approach your, uh, your contending roster. Yeah, right. So early in the year, you could have probably transacted on a Miles Sanders or a Josh Jacobs at a reasonably efficient price, right? Um, And then even later in the year, guys like Zonovan Knight, right, who we'll talk about a little bit later, or Cordero Patterson, or, you know, just like guys that you think can can hold up or plug up that flex spot, like when the need arises, it's just a much better way to build your teams from like an insulation standpoint from an accrual of value standpoint than really making sure that the top half of your bench are capable replacements for your starting lineup and yeah and i and it seems simple like when you when you lay it out like that it seems almost completely logical but i think there's an anxiety on the part of at least like half of dynasty players that once they have a contending roster, they really want to consolidate and reinforce that contending roster because they feel like they're going all the way in. That's why there's so many dynasty rosters out there that are completely bereft of draft picks because it's not just about getting that starting lineup. It's once they get it, then they want to continue. And, right? and I think it's a price discussion is ultimately what it comes down to, right? Because if you're looking at your roster in August and you're looking at Adam Thielen as your first wide receiver off the bench, you know, he's going to cost you that second round pick, whatever, you know, his cost was at that time. But, you know, you go into the season and October comes and you need some flex help you can probably deploy a third round pick or a second round pick then to get Adam Thielen. Maybe maybe the fear is, and maybe what I'm trying to get at, is that it's more expensive to pay for it when you need it than if you just pay up front. And I think maybe that fear is overstated. And what we're trying to argue is, is that it's actually in your best interest kind of not to buy the insurance policy in August and just sort of wait uh, until the need actually arises and then pay for it again down the road. This happened to me on a contender recently needed flex help for a must win game 
traded a third away for Samaj P. Ryan. And guess what? You know, like I now that's two spike weeks in a row from P. Ryan. So it's doable. And I think that, you know, you're going to be able to recognize those opportunities over the course of the year and be more willing to transact those second and third round picks because you've actually got them in the bank and you didn't spend them all in July and August. Yeah, exactly. Like let it come out of need and not out of an extra abundance of caution. Right. Because a lot of times people will say like, go buy depth ahead of the playoffs. Right. I understand that, especially if you have a trade deadline in your league. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, going back to kind of what you said earlier about Trey Lance and making a quick pivot, you know, one thing that I've heard our guy Jacob Sanderson say a couple of times is at some point in the year, 11 of 12 managers are going to realize that they're not winning the championship of their league, right? Are you one of the 11 that realizes that in week one, or are you one of the 11 that realizes that in week nine, right? So, you know, we talk about taking stock of your situation all the time, but what this kind of strategy does where you have a really, for contending teams, a really elite starting roster, a little bit of a weaker bench, but then a stable of assets is it gives you the ability to pivot quickly, but it also gives you that ability to buy reinforcements if you need them at efficient prices because you know what you're getting them for right you're not you're not buying the hope that adam thielen is a wide receiver too right right? in the in the beginning of the season you're buying with the knowledge that you know uh x player right i i mean this is a bad example but demarcus robinson is like a pretty solid wide receiver four or whatever you know like i i can't like come up with like the more premium assets on top of my head but like you're buying with more knowledge because you've seen it play out through the course of the regular season. We just had a whole long discussion about trying to evaluate situation and how difficult that is, you know, when you haven't seen a down of football yet in August. But four weeks into the season, we have a pretty good idea which teams are decent and which ones are bad, right? Like we know very well by then that Pittsburgh and Houston are going to be bottom feeders. Whereas like maybe there was some reason to hope Pittsburgh could have been better in, in August. And and that that's just one team. That's just like one example. But, you know, that that's what we're getting at here is like you're able to transact more efficiently because you've got more uh, data uh, behind you to make your decision. Yeah, right. So like uh, some other examples, just because I, you know, Josh Palmer, that would be like a, a, a solid wide receiver three that you could buy to plug a hole for very cheap. Right. For sure. Alan Lazard. Jacoby Myers, right? Like players like that, that you can just like make a quick purchase, get it in your lineup, get points until that injured guy comes back, et cetera. So we're going to close out the first half here, but you know, just to kind of remind the listeners what Trey's kind of process reevaluation was for this year, you know, we need to take situations seriously, right? Move beyond just the heuristic of only bet on talent. Don't worry about situation. You know, we need to find ways in order to kind of quantify situation and use that as an edge moving forward. Um, And then, you know, for me, focus less on depth for contending rosters. Get that really heavy starting lineup with a stable of assets that you can leverage later on if you need them. Trade, you got anything to add to that? No, no, I like it. I think it's good advice. And, and, you know, we've talked about that in the past. Like, how can we focus more on sort of the strategy behind playing Dynasty? And and these are two good examples, right? Like, it's 
you've got to be able to evaluate well. You've got to be able to play the game well. There's no like one right answer for every single roster or every single league, you know? So know what you're good at and know your weak spots. And and it's it's a process, right? We're, we're try, constantly trying to get better and help you get better. So um, yeah, I mean, if, if you, the listener, have any thoughts on this and want to shout them out at us on Twitter. If you're still on Twitter these days, I know it's kind of a dumpster fire now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, let us know. Cause uh, we want to get this uh, conversation going. All right. Sounds good. Mike check. It is halftime. All right, Trey. Well, you know, halftime has been a little rough. Uh, as of late, you know, we haven't won a parlay in a while. Um, we have won a single parlay this year. And, and, you know, for listeners who are new, what we do is every week, each of us picks a game against the spread. And then I place a parlay bet on that every week. Last year, we won three parlays leading to over 200% profit. This year, we've got one. We only need one more to be profitable on the year. Last year, we were, or last week, excuse me, we were one and three. So, you know, we got some work to do to make up for it. But um, let's go ahead and kick it off. Trey, what is your pick against the spread for week 14's halftime? Yeah, unfortunately, my uh, Jags let me down uh, last week. But uh, I'm going to turn it around this week. I'm going with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're six-point favorites at home against the Cleveland Browns. We just saw Cincy yesterday win against Kansas City. They're playing like one of the best teams in the league right now. And with that win, they're only a game away from a first round bye in the AFC. So they're highly motivated. They're playing hot and they get the Browns at home. So I think they beat Cleveland by at least a touchdown. I'm not scared of the division rivalry and whatever wackiness comes from that. Give me Cincinnati at home. All right. Yeah, I I bet against the Bengals, you know, my last week, my feeling was Chiefs all day and the Bengals showed me. So you they know. showed you who day. They showed me who day exactly. And uh, yeah, Joe Burrow uh, is very good. Joe Burrow is good at football and that defense is playing a lot better too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They got Jamar Chase back. So love it. All right. um, My pick, I got the Seahawks minus three and a half at home versus the Panthers. I mean, I'm not sure what I'm missing here, Trey. I, I feel like the Seahawks beating the Panthers by four points is a reasonable bet at home in Seattle with the 12s. I mean, maybe there's some good juju around the Panthers right now with Baker Mayfield being released. I don't know. I just think the Seahawks are a good team and the Panthers are a bad team and getting, you know, three, just doing a three and a half point spread at home. I, what am I missing? Trey? I, I don't think the Seahawks are a good team. You know, I think they're probably like in that big middle of the road group, but I think the Panthers are bad. So yeah, this line seems like it's favorable for Seattle for sure. Yeah. So this is an, uh, a team that we are actually going back to the well on because Mitch picked Seattle minus four and a half against the Rams last week. They won by four. So we just missed that line. Yep. But yeah, I, I think, you know, they cover at home. All right, and then our third uh, spread here. Mitch has the Cardinals as one-and-a-half-point dogs on Monday Night Football at home against the New England Patriots. I I feel like every time we've bet on the Cardinals this year, it's ended in pain and misery, whether it's for (laughs) them or against them. But Trey, what do you think about this pick? Yeah, betting against Pats definitely gives me some uh, stress farts here just because of how good that defense (laughs) has been. But uh, 
you know, what do we always say, right? It's the, the home team dog in prime time. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's what we're going with here. All right. And then, like we said, John is on vacation this week. Um, so we did not bother him to give us a spread. Like we're just kind of letting him disconnect. Uh, he's been a very busy man recently. So our parlay is a three team parlay this week. Trey's got Bengals minus six against the Browns in Believe Land. I've got the Seahawks minus three and a half at home versus the Panthers and Trey, uh, excuse me, Mitch is going with the Cardinals plus one and a half at home versus Mac Jones and the Patriots. All right, let's kick off this second half where we're going to kind of stop reflecting so much and just talk about, you know, some of our more immediate reactions to the week 13 slate. Trey, why don't you kick us off? Ask me, you know, what I think about a certain topic. All right, let's get into it. We've got a couple of these we want to run through. So number one here, Lamar Jackson uh, did not make it through the game on Sunday, likely out for a few weeks with potentially a non-season ending knee injury. So we're hoping he comes back for the playoff run. Would you say that this is the perfect time to target him if you're a rebuilding roster? And what are we doing if we're hoping for him to turn it on and push our contending rosters over the edge for this playoff stretch. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a super flex league and let's say you're rebuilding, I think obviously you should send a good faith offer for Lamar Jackson and every single one of them, you know, if you want to be aggressive with it and, and send away like a, a young hot player like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, I don't hate it because I'm still going to have Lamar Jackson ranked ahead of them in my linear dynasty ranks. Otherwise, if you kind of want to be a little bit more creative with it, you know, send a 2023 first plus something on top, right? Maybe it's an early first gets you enough credit to go after Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think that's a completely fine idea. Um, Let's say you're pretty much guaranteed the 101 in 2023. So either Bijan Robinson or, or, um, or Bryce Young. Trey, would you send away that 101 for Lamar Jackson? Yeah, it's Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's got to be. Like, you got to, like, you when you're talking about the 101, you got to think longer than just, like, what helps you in the short term. And we have to value Lamar Jackson, what he brings to the quarterback position over a rookie we've never seen play it down a football. So I, I agree with you here. Uh, I do have Lamar Jackson on a couple of contending rosters right now. So this news yeah. especially sucks for me on one of those squads. I traded away a late second for his backup, Tyler Huntley and a late third. So did a little two for three pick swap there. Um, okay. I was, I was also considering uh, going after a big name for a rebuilder, somebody like, or from a rebuilder. Uh, you talked about how you thought Kyler Murray was a big buy recently. So it was a little bit too expensive for me, but I, I did think about it. Yeah, yeah. I think if I had Lamar Jackson, I'm a contender, and I have the ability to get Kyler Murray. Man, I I, I probably wouldn't do it unless I got something on top uh, of Kyler Murray back, which is probably greedy. Like I think the Kyler Murray manager is like, "Hey, man, Lamar's not healthy right now." You know, if I were the Kyler Murray manager, I would I would probably not add anything to take right. on the injury of Lamar Jackson, but. I mean, I'm just Lamar Jackson's my reputation player quarterback. Like I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, he started off the year extremely hot. Um, it's, it hasn't worked out as well since, but I think 
he was a buy before this injury, and now especially for rebuilding rosters, the the buy intensifies, if you will. And and he really hasn't had a, anybody to throw to the last couple of weeks besides Mark Andrews. So uh, with you know Shoddy B coming back next year, maybe they bring in somebody as a free agent. Like it's got to get better in the receiver room. All right, sounds good. All right, let's move on to kind of our second topic here out of week thirteen, and that's two weeks in a row where Zonovan Bam Knight. Uh, rookie undrafted running back out of South Carolina has showed a little something something for the Jets uh, in the wake of Michael Carter's injury after his first week of productivity so in in week 12 I actually blew like a wad of fab in nearly every league for him like there was only one league in which I got outbid for him uh, and I even started him in a spot. I believe I started him in that spot with you, Trey. We That's right. Um, That's right. So basically, Zonovan Knight, he showed something early. He's an undrafted rookie. Is this a quick sell for a third round pick? So first off, was he South Carolina? Because I thought he was an NC State guy. Oh, he was NC State. Okay. South Carolina was the other night, right? Was that? Yeah, there was, was another. It? There was like a couple South Carolina guys in this rookie class. Yeah. But yeah. So does there was not Kevin important. Harris. Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're, not important. Not important. Bam Knight, running back 24, running back 10 in his first two games, getting the majority of the workload. That's not including the guys playing on Monday Night Football this week, week 13. Yeah, if you can flip them for a third, if you're not contending, go for it. You know, why not? That's free money, uh, you know, cash out and 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 take it. But if you need running back, running back depth for the playoffs, I think I'd rather have Knight over the third, you know? I, I, even okay. if Michael Carter comes back healthy, I still think he's usable based off what we've seen over these two weeks. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I know that this is what we're saying. Like if you don't need the depth, then let him go. But if you need the depth and he's going to contribute, then, then yeah, I mean, I think I'd rather have him than the third round pick. Yeah. I mean, they trade for James Robinson and then they healthy scratch him right. in favor of Bam Knight. And then Michael Carter gets hurt, right? This is what happens with those handcuff running backs, right? This is why, you stash them over the wide receiver sixes uh, in Dynasty. So I think I agree with you here. I think like if I'm a rebuilder, I'd quick sell for a third. Absolutely. Um, it You know, as an aside, like I, I mentioned, I blew a, wa- a, a wad of fab, excuse me, a, a in every league. Wab, a, 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 a wad of fab. Um, but that made me realize like this year, did we really have like a wad worthy player? Um, no, because I f- the reason I did that is because I had Fab in all of my leagues. No, no, there's, I I don't know if Samaje P Ryan was on the free agent wire a couple weeks yeah. ago. He was probably on most rosters, but uh, that yeah, would have definitely been wad worthy. Heineke, Heineke, Heineke maybe would have yeah. been wad worthy. You know when when uh, Dak got hurt, I I probably blew one of my wads on uh, Cooper Rush for sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there might be with some of these other quarterback injuries, there might be some more wad worthy guys on the wire this week, but that's all we'll say about that. Being like a rookie running back early declare, by the way, he's 21 years old. Like I I saw all of that and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to spend up for this guy. Yeah. So, so I think we're in agreement contender, let him go for a third, but for more, excuse me, contender. Yeah. He's probably more valuable than a third, but rebuilder. Take the pick, right? All right. Okay. Uh, moving on here. So our guy, DeAndre Swifty, my former reputation player from a season ago, 
he just had his most productive showing in months against the Jags. He had 20 total opportunities. He's currently sitting at running back 12 on keep trade cut. And because he finally showed signs of life, it might be slightly harder to buy him this week than it was a week ago. But what do you think? Is he a sneaky buy? Like what's your price check on a guy who we probably all had as like a top three running back going back to the preseason? Yeah, I think he's been a buy for a long time. Uh, And I've, I mean, the only way it's funny I say that because the only transaction I've made personally with DeAndre Swift is I sold him for Travis Etienne recently. (laughs) But, but um, I do think he has been a buy, and it's going to be a little bit harder to buy him now than it was a week ago. Now he's he's coming off that twenty opportunity game where you know he he had a good a good day and he looked spry. Um, But you know, I'm looking at the running back rankings, and there's guys ahead of him: Ramondre Stevenson. Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, Christian McCaffrey. Like I would still take DeAndre Swift over those guys in most situations. Like, okay, that's hard. Give me Josh Jacobs. If I'm like a clear contender, any other situation, give me DeAndre Swift, right? Like even a guy like Kenneth Walker, right? Kenneth Walker, obviously he's a little bit younger than Swift. He's been a lot more productive this year when he's been healthy, but projecting moving forward, like I would expect Kenneth Walker and DeAndre Swift to score similar points per game, right? And you should be able to get something significant on top of Walker, even with his injury right now for Swift. So I I think I think he's a buy. I think he's been a buy. I think he continues to be a buy. And I think that window's probably closing. So this is really tough because this is a player who I've loved for a while and I'm kind of cooling on, I'll admit it. I'm kind of cooling on okay. Swifty here. The, the way Swifty pays off for your contending roster is if he turns into Alvin Kamara, right? Like they've got to start throwing him the ball. He's got to start getting like 80 catches a year and he needs to be scoring enough touchdowns, finding the end zone to put up that top five, top six running back season that wins you your league, right? And we haven't seen that yet because even in the part-time role that he's been given, when they get down to the red zone, he's like not the red zone running back, it's Jamal Williams. So I know we can't like predict that going into next year, but that coaching usage, like it does matter. Right. Like we, I just talked about how situation matters more than we want to admit here. So I'm not saying I would definitely take him over Ramondre Stevenson because absolutely not give me DeAndre Swift, but like for a contending roster right now, you better believe I'd rather have Austin Eckler. You better believe I I'm more comfortable betting on Josh Jacobs based on what we've seen this year. I mean, that's fair. You know, I, I think to to your point about like Jamal Williams uh, being the red zone running back, et cetera, like to Dan Campbell's credit, he's kind of been honest about usage this year. Like he was telling us for weeks that DeAndre Swift was not healthy, right? that we're going to limit right. his touches, right? What did he say ahead of last week? He said, DeAndre Swift is starting to get healthy. He's starting to figure it out and we're going to start giving him more touches and lo and behold, 20 opportunities, right? So you know, another part of evaluating situations is being able to like read the tea leaves of coach speak, like when it's completely like farts and whistles and when like play, like when coaches are a little bit more honest, 
there are certain coaches out there that are a little bit more honest with usage, right? Sure. And it seems like Dan Campbell might be one of them. And and DeAndre Swift has has continued to have really great touchdown luck this year too, right? So I think it's obviously Jamal Williams leading the league in touchdowns this year. He's their preferred option at the goal line, but that doesn't mean that DeAndre Swift on that surprisingly good offense of Detroit is not getting reasonable amounts of green zone opportunities. And let me, let me just say this, like this is all, you know, shades of, of green here, right? Because I have him higher than RB 12. I'd be fine with him at RB nine or 10, you know? So um, I'm yeah. with you. I you probably know. got him closer to like RB five. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Based on what you're saying, like over CMC yeah. guys like that. Yeah. You've got him higher than I do, but either way, you know, keep trade cut seems like they're a little low on our guy Swifty. All right, Trey, let's move on. We know that the 2022 wide receiver class is insane. Uh, Like you said last week in that episode with Mitch, seven rookies in the top 24 wide receivers on Keep Trade Cut is bananas. One of those guys we haven't talked much about is George Pickens. Um, And he just had his worst outing of the season against Atlanta in week 13. But that was after a truly meteoric rise in the ranks post chase claypool trade etc he got all the way up to about wide receiver 14 currently ranked as wide receiver 16 on that community ranking service what have you seen out of george pickens rookie year and are you selling so here's the deal with george pickens right everyone in the freaking nation saw him play in the college football championship game last january right so he's got great name recognition coming out of Georgia, the second round pick in the draft, ton of hype around him. He's made these amazing like acrobatic catches as a rookie, like down the sideline. Like the guy has some crazy ball skills, but I'm out. Like I'm selling George Pickens everywhere I've got him because the underlying metrics here, yards per route run 1.42 on the year is really bad, very poor efficiency. And that's on 359, almost 360. Yeah, he's, routes he's out there for, he's out there for 90% of the routes. He's getting right? top 12 usage uh, as a rookie, which honestly, that's, that's like a buy, you know, proposition. But the fact that he's been so inefficient on that usage, that is not a good sign of things to come. And if you can sell him right now for Drake, London, Traylon Burks, Christian Watson, shoot, even swell him, sell him for our guy Swifty, who we just talked about. Like those are great deals. And I'm much more confident, you know, betting on those guys than George Pickens. So place your bets elsewhere. If you still got them on your roster. Yeah. Those guys you mentioned, the Christian Watsons, the Deandre Swifts, uh, the Traylon Burks. These are all guys that are technically behind him on keep trade cut. So, you know, Trey and I, uh, in the league, we co-manage, we sold George Pickens and a fourth, we added a fourth. We're so generous. We added a fourth <laughs> and we got Drake London back. Drake and Drake London. London is a number eight overall draft pick. His yards per route run off the charts. His target share, 26.2%. Real The underlying metrics are screaming by Drake London right now. And this is one of those things. It's like, could we lose out on that bet? Like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, of could, course. You know, that could go against us. But if you just look at, you know, the players and what these guys have done as rookies, like, one's coming in with way more draft cap than the other one has performed a lot better than the other and we're able to uh, transact on brand recognition hell yeah sign me up anyway all right so let's get into another one here let's talk about the quarterback position here you mentioned these guys earlier 
There's two dudes from last year's class who are really establishing themselves this year at quarterback, and that's Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So straight up, who would you rather have on your dynasty squad and why? This is really tough. I think one, let me say the market is saying Justin Fields by a reasonable margin over Trevor Lawrence. And it makes sense, right? Because Justin Fields has had these 50, 80 yard rushing touchdowns, right? Like he's an incredible athlete. He's starting to kind of put it together through the air despite you know, only having Chase Claypool out there who I believe just got hurt. Darnell Moody's yeah. already hurt. Like right. he's really working with nothing out there. I don't know if I have a clean answer to this, but I think I'm going to lean Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence, like what I've seen out of him is just like elite quarterback play. Like, you know, he's really stepped it up in terms of completion percentage yards per attempt seeing the field really well. Yes, he still takes a lot of unnecessary sacks, but I think like Trevor Lawrence is starting to become that superstar quarterback that everybody thought he was coming into that 2021 class. So I think they're very close. I think in a vacuum, I'm going to lean toward Trevor Lawrence. Um, but yeah, am I? Yeah, I feel like you're going to tell me I'm wrong. I am going to tell you you're <laughs> wrong. I'm a Justin Fields guy for sure. You know, just look at the the performance this year. Neither one is working with a roster that's overflowing with talent, but I think we would all prefer the Jags starting offense to the Bears starting offense. Fields has put up the QB five season on the year and T-Law has put up the QB nine season on the year. So you don't even have to overthink it. Fields is performing better today. um, And so he's who I prefer going forward. That said, I do want to do a shout out here. Uh, Ben Baldwin is a writer for The Athletic. And uh, he goes by the Twitter handle uh, Computer Cowboy. And he's a really great follower. Um, He's a really great follow on Twitter for these kinds of metrics. I always reference him for team tiers for our parlay. But I also look at him for the quarterback evals because he does a great chart every week of EPA per play, uh, which is an advanced metric for the quarterback position uh, versus on the other axis, the PFF grade, right? Uh, Pro football focus, right? Uh, and T law has been good this year. I think, you know, he checks off a lot of boxes on the film grade. He kind of is falling a little bit middle of the pack. So some of that is just us like, you know, recognizing the improvement from last year, which has been huge for both of these guys. But I think T law still has a little bit of a ways to go on some of these underlying metrics. And so does fields for that matter. But the obvious thing that I haven't said yet is fields is getting it done on the ground. And you know, that's what wins you dynasty championships. And that's why he's already, a top five quarterback at, you know, his second year in the NFL. Yeah. The the, outside of Lamar Jackson, like the most dynamic Russian quarterback in the league, I think like he's taking it, taking it over Jalen hurts right now. Like, it's just like, I just, I just love him so much. He's, he's too good for Chicago. Yeah. And so are you, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right, Trey, moving on to our next topic here coming out of week 13 and, and possibly the biggest headline of week 13 was Deshaun Watson coming back for the Browns. And he looked like a guy who has not played football in two years, Trey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watson, he's kind of been hovering in terms of value in that low-end quarterback one territory for a few months. And I feel like in all of my dynasty leagues, you saw a lot of transacting on Deshaun Watson in the offseason and maybe early in the season. But kind of since the season started... He's been stashed. If you if you had Deshaun Watson, I, I did not roster him anywhere. But if you had him, 
I saw people just stashing him. For sure. Now that we've caught a glimpse of him and his rustiness, does it signal transaction for you? Or what are you thinking about Deshaun Watson? You know, uh, unfortunately trying to put aside like how we think of him as a person. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not surprised he looked rusty. The guy has not stepped on a football field in ages. And I think he was only able to just start practicing with the team, you know, a week or so ago. So yeah, yeah, there was, there was naturally going to be some rust. So no surprise there. Hopefully you weren't starting him anywhere listener if you had him on your squad, but I also don't think that you're necessarily going to sell him based off of one game, right? Especially if you've held on to him this long. So I don't, I don't think there's a ton of signal in just one game back. And looking at the price right now on keep trade cut, he's going as the same range as Dak Prescott, who's currently a high end QB two on the year. And he's also in the same range as Trey Lance, who, you know, huge, obvious question marks. We've never seen him produce at the NFL level. He's got to come back from injury. So I think the valuation is fine. You know, I don't think you're getting a ton of value either direction trying to trade him away now. Um, he's not a guy I have anywhere though, so I'm not betting on him. And because of all the reasons we haven't talked about, you know, I, I hope that he keeps sucking it up, but I don't think there's necessarily enough signal after one game to make a move one way or the other. Uh, I mean, I think if you can get him for, if you can get Dak Prescott for him, you smash. Okay. Um, That's, that's Dak's a lot older, right? Isn't he like, yeah, he's six years older. He's a good amount older. He is, he's only two years older than Deshaun Okay. Two or three years older. Okay. Uh, he's 29. Deshaun Watson is 27. Okay. Like, I have no idea how Dak Prescott is. Apparently, <laughs> I think Dak. I think Dak is playing extremely well right now, and I think he's the quarterback in Dallas for a long time. So, um, otherwise, like if I wanted to sell Deshaun Watson right now, which I don't think is advisable, but I mean, I think you could like get a uh, Geno Smith and like a first for him still, you know. And I, I would probably do that just to like get out of the Deshaun Watson business. And yeah, that's fair. I said I would put away how I feel about him as a person, but I, I can't. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I, I still want to get out. All right. Yeah, Trey, let's move on. All right. So go back to the wide receiver position. Rookie Jamison Williams finally made his first appearance of the year. He played his first game on Sunday. He had one target on only 11% of the snaps, so definitely not anywhere near a full-time role just yet. Meanwhile, Amon Ross St. Brown, who is a beast, 35 PPR points. So what's your value? What's your price on both these guys right now? Okay, um, I'll start with Jamison Williams, and I'm going to start off by shouting out my guy, Paul Yin. Um, he's a friend of ours, plays in the TLG three league, really cool dude. He kind of flagged this for me. Jamison Williams, he's currently wide receiver 16 on keep trade cut. I feel like that, that price is all projection. Like, and that's fine. Like Jamison Williams has a pretty tantalizing profile, you know, really productive junior year at Alabama, really great athleticism. He's on an offense that's seemingly ascending. Yep. But I think Jamison Williams is a sell at wide receiver 16, right? I think his ceiling is higher than that. Like you could lose out on that deal. Like he could be a wide receiver 12, but I think he projects to be a high A dot, maybe max like 23% target share guy, just the profile he's got coming out of college. And 
I would see that as more of like a wide receiver two in dynasty on average, and you're get you can sell him for high end wide receiver two prices. So, you know, it might be harder to sell him now than it was a week ago because we only saw him play 11% of snaps and that may scare off enough people to where you couldn't get as efficient of a price. But going into the week, I was convinced by the idea that Jamison Williams, it's all projection right now. And it's mostly projection based on the success of his cohort, based on the success of guys that were drafted around him, like Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. He's reaping the benefits of their success and it's leaking through it to his value. So before I move on to Mon Ross St. Brown, I'll throw it back to you for Jameson. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Because going into the offseason, I remember that following the draft, we were kind of laughing at where Drake London and where Garrett Wilson were ending up in some of the keep trade cut ranks and other public, yeah. you know, publicly available ranks. Because those guys were as high as like wide receiver 10, 11 without showing anything. Right. So JMO coming in at, at wide receiver 16, you said. I mean, that seems like it, there's definitely a ton of projection baked in and there are probably guys below him where I think I would rather make my bet Traylon Burks, you know, for example, yes. somebody I would still prefer over JMO, but I get it. You know, I think he's going to be fine. And, you know, if you're a rebuilder and you can get him at roughly that price or maybe you know, slightly less than that. Now that he's, you know, put up this dud, his first game back. I don't think it's a bad transaction to get him on your squad. Cause there is tons of upside with, you know, how high you went in the draft and his profile coming out of college, there were film evaluators who had him as their top wide receiver in this class. Yeah. So he still went 12th overall. Too, I, I so. don't, I don't hate it. If you want to get into the JMO business as a rebuilder, obviously for a contender, that's a tough buy right now. Guys behind him that I think I would rather have, like you said, Traylon Burks. I think I'd rather have Christian Watson at this point. Uh, That's I th- close. I think I think I'd rather have Marquise Brown, um, who just perpetually underrated. Y'all talked about him last week. Still at wide receiver twenty four. I think that's a fucking. I wish I was on last week so I would have screamed by Marquise <laughs> Brown. Uh, oh yeah, we love Hollywood. We love Hollywood. Chris Godwin, I, I think I'd rather have than uh, Jamison Williams, but that's he. That's about where it cuts off. But I think like there's there's opportunities to kind of like lock in some insulated value with Jamison Williams on the off chance that he does kind of uh, uh, face plan. We 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 talked about this in uh, I think we were texting earlier, but it, it's like a fifty fifty shot he hits at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, if you want to flip that that coin, I think the payoff is big enough now to where he's not a screaming sell to me. He's more of a hold or, or a slight buy. Okay. Well let's get to Amon Ross St. Brown um, really quickly here. What I'll say about Amon Ross St. Brown is I've been just so continually perpetually, unfortunately late to the party. Yeah. Amon Ross. Like I have been saying, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a baller since the end of last year. Like I believed in his target share at the end of last year, I believed in his talent when we saw that six game stretch, but like, I've never been able to like pull the trigger on the price, right? Like I'm just now getting to the point where I'm willing to trade away T Higgins for Amon Ross St. Brown and something. But the problem is nobody's going to fucking do that. They're just going to keep Amon Ross St. Brown who just had a 35 point PPR game again. You know, like I just, I, I don't know what it is. I think he's 
fucking awesome, but there's something holding me back from like paying the market price even as it continues to go up. So I think he's more valuable than T. Higg, man. I, yeah. Straight up, I, I think he is at this point. I think we've seen enough. And and you know what? It, he was a day three pick last year, right? So yeah. we're going to be late on these uh, fourth round guys and later. Uh, but you know, we've seen reason or we've seen examples of guys late in the draft who you do break that mold. Uh, you know, Stefan Diggs is like the prime example. <laughs> yeah. Fuck him on Raw's draft capital. Yeah, like, it was like, dumb. That, that it was completely one, it was dumb. Like going into our pre-draft process, we all loved him on Yeah, Ross He should have been a second round pick for sure. Secondly, though, now we shouldn't even be thinking about his draft cap. Yeah, we've seen like, enough for sure. It should not be in our mind at all. So, yeah, man, I, maybe I got to go sell T. I what's funny is like where I've tried, like the people will respond and be like, I, I don't even want him straight up. Like, I, I'll give me him on Ross St. Brown. Give me the sun god. So, he's a yeah. beast. He's he is very good at football. And one of my biggest regrets from the offseason was not being higher on him for sure. Cause like I'm looking at my draft board from some of these redraft leagues I was in. I, I picked Juju over St. Brown in one league and like kicking myself for that for t- uh, today, you know? Yeah. All right. So let's close out with more receiver talk. And I just want to play a quick game. It's been a while since we kind of did, you know, a rankings exercise on our own. So everybody knows who the top two wide receivers are in Dynasty consensus, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. But Trey, why don't you rank your dynasty receivers, wide receiver three to seven, and you know any of the players in that tier that you think are a good target right now? All right. So my wide receiver three is C.D. Lamb, and I feel pretty strongly Ooh. that he is the wide receiver three at this point. I, I'm I feel pretty confident in that. Now, after Lamb, this is where it gets interesting. I've got Olave at four. And I've got the sun god Amon Ross St. Brown at five. I am I am drinking that sun flavored Kool Aid, that Sunny D. And then at six, Jalen Waddle, and at seven, AJ Brown. But the reason why I say it gets interesting is because there's some vets that are like 29 years old that are absolutely killing it right now, like Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill, for example. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, exactly. Cooper Cup before the injury. They all belong in this conversation too after CeeDee Lamb. So I am okay with Stephon Diggs as high as number four given team need, but in a uh, startup draft, Alave at four, that's my biggest buy target in this group right now. The most undervalued guy on keep trade cut right now. And I think you fast forward three, four months, he's going to shoot up from eight uh, to four, like right here where I've got him. And same Brown too. I think he's currently keep trade cut number nine. I think he's also going to go up from that over the off season. That's, I mean, I thought by my ranking of Chris Olave, I thought was, was, you know, a hot take, but it's very much <laughs> not. So let me give you, I, I love everything you said there, Trey, by the way, like I don't disagree on any of it. Here's my wide receiver three through seven at wide receiver three. I have AJ Brown at wide receiver four. I have my guy, Sidarian lamb. Uh, the only NFL Jersey I own is a CD lamb Jersey. So that's, that's my guy. I'm higher on lamb than you are now. I know wide receiver five, Jalen Waddle, uh, I think that's arguable. I, I think Waddle is is kind of 
is really getting alphaed by Tyreek Hill in 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 Miami right now. Yeah, so, he's slightly I think that's, he's slightly overvalued, but he's still like a top six dynasty yeah, wide receiver. He's still very good. Uh, and then wide receiver six, I got DK Metcalf, who we have not referenced yet. And then wide receiver seven, I have uh, Chris Olave. So I agree with you. I think like maybe I should move up Chris Olave. Just exactly what you said. Like we're gonna get to the end of the year. A month after the season ends, everybody's going to metabolize what yep, happened. Exactly. And they're going to be like, holy shit, Chris Olave had yep. a 27% target share, like a 40% air yard share or whatever it is. And they're going to blast him up to wide receiver three. And you know what? It, it's it's almost not right. It's almost not fair to Garrett Wilson and Drake London not to include this in this conversation because their rookie years have been so good. But this is also just a recognition of what Alave has shown as a rookie and what he did in the first half of the year and what we expect him to do in the second half that I'm, I'm ready to go ahead and put him now in my top five at the dynasty wide receiver position. So I, I think Wilson and London are going to make a push, but today, yeah, Alave belongs in the top five, um, especially if you fast forward and, you know, predict what's going to happen to some of these 29, 30 year olds once the season's over. Well, okay, Trey, before we close out, though, talk to me about these 2019 receivers, man. You've got A.J. Brown as your wide receiver seven. I've got him as my wide receiver three. And you you haven't mentioned D.K. Metcalf yet, who is having a great season. And he's still fucking maybe the most like one of the most physically dominant receivers in the league. Like I'm a big D.K. Metcalf fan. I always have been. So why is AJ Brown not higher considering what he's been doing on the Philadelphia Eagles? And why is DK Metcalf not in the top eight conversation for you? All right. So I will flip that back to you a little bit because you've got AJ Brown two spots ahead of, on, of keep trade cut. I've got him two spots below, right? So we're, we're plus or minus like roughly the same here. Uh, AJ Brown is amazing. Like he puts up spike weeks all the time. Uh, but, you know, I think he's, going to kind of settle in as that wide receiver six to 12 going forward in like redraft ranks every year because of sort of the offense he plays in because of the talent around him, like Godert and uh, Devonte Smith are going to command their targets. He's going to get his touchdowns. He's going to have his spike weeks, but he's going to have his lows too. And I think to a certain degree, I'm, I'm kind of projecting that for DK Metcalf as well. He's a guy who I've loved for a long time, but I think is going to settle in as like a low end wide receiver one going forward. Like that's great, but we're, we're chasing the the best of the best, you know, we're chasing the next Justin Jefferson and yeah, for all those reasons, that's why I'm like a little bit higher on Alave, even though, you know, we haven't seen as much of that, you know, consistent production year over year yet. You know, he's only, uh, you know, two and a half months into his NFL career at this point. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, I think I have AJ Brown at wide receiver three, just because, you know, he, even if the offense he plays in is a little bit lower volume because of Jalen Hurts is rushing and and they kind of focus on the run a lot as well, like he's still a like a thirty percent target share guy. Oh, he's still he's, a beast. he's so good. He's yeah he like he does have those spike weeks and like I don't know maybe I'm just so tan like that that touchdown he had where he just like shrugged off the guy this past week. I I, I just I'm tantalized like I but I think he is like. After Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, I think I would 
choose AJ Brown in a vacuum to be like the wide receiver one on my football team. Oh, for sure. So for sure. And don't get me wrong. Like I did buy into AJ Brown this year. Like he's one of the, uh, he's my number two receiver on a contending roster right now, him and Tyree kill. So yeah, I'm running into the playoffs with Brown and I'm loving it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think still kind of between wide receiver three and wide receiver 12 or whatever you're, you're still, even though after, you know, 10 or 11 weeks uh, of, of data, like we're still splitting hairs here. Dude, right? I've got him at it's seven. Still, like I, I am not fading the guy. Over the off season, the tier was like wide receiver three to 14. Do we still think it's that big or has it, has it kind of stratified a bit? I think it's, I think lamb has kind of separated himself from the rest. You know, I think he's a little bit closer to Jamar Chase than he is to Chris Olave right now. So I want to give, you know, recognize Lamb for what he's done this year. Wow. Um, that said, I think you, when you get down to like wide receiver four on, it does get a little bit muddy, you know, and that's why I wanted to shout out those vets like Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, because I am totally fine if you would rather have Tyreek Hill on your roster than Chris Olave at this point, you know, like that is, that's very much like team dependent. And you could even project a year ahead. Like, who do you think is going to score more points in 2023? You know, so that said, it's probably from like about wide receiver four down to like maybe let's say wide receiver 12 when you include guys like Devontae Adams, Drake London, and Garrett Wilson in the conversation. Got it. T. Higgins. Yeah, T. Higgins, yeah. too. Yeah. T. Higgins is in there for sure. Um, all right. Well, we got through a lot today you know we spent the first half talking a little bit about you know our biggest processual regret regrets if you will um regrets <laughs> and then uh in the second half we just blasted through like eight you know topics coming out of week 13 so you know for about 70 minutes of content i, I think we i think we delivered trey what would you say hey job done and uh thank you everyone for hanging with us it was a fun one this week and uh Marles and John, hope you're enjoying the time away and come back soon. We miss you guys. All right. So we'll see everybody in a few weeks after that idiot editor gets back uh, from out of the country. In the meantime, you know, enjoy these last couple weeks of the fantasy regular season and good luck in those playoffs. All right. Goodbye. Later. No, I ain't